FYI, and I don't mean fake news, this podcast contains huge spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 219 of the podcast that goes snicked. I'm your host, Jason. I'll be there when you need me. Venable. And this is a flashback episode, Wolverine Year 15 Part 3. That's right. This year had so much Wolverine it took three parts. <laughs> and that's really a, there's really a lot more where just some of them have you know, specific names like this miniseries or that miniseries or this storyline. Um, so the whole year is probably, I don't know, several episodes. But anyway, this is the third kind of just general catch-up episode. And um, we're going to split it into two parts. The amazing John Wilson is returning to the podcast to talk about um, some Rob Liefeld and some Marvel Comics Presents. And then we'll also do some kind of... Uh, barely there Wolverine appearances to kind of just catch us up on Uncanny X-Men uh, kind of while he's off doing his solo stuff just to see what what happened while he's kind of lurking in the background a little bit <laughs> anyway a little caveat a little disclaimer um, so the first segment which features like I said the lovely John Wilson had some technical difficulties I did my best to kind of fix as we went uh, we were having some connectability problems which you know is no one's fault it's just kind of the way it goes sometimes and um yeah so there were several times where we kind of had to, to to stop and restart and you know where I was able to catch it or he was able to catch it and we kind of noticed it wasn't really working right and I thought we kind of caught all that out and then about halfway through the segment or maybe a little more a little less um we actually just switched and, and did a different thing had him we did it over the phone instead so you might notice a slight change in the audio it doesn't sound bad just different but anyway in the first part while we were kind of stopping and starting like i said I, I felt like we caught most of it as we went uh going back and editing there were a few other places where Things kind of cut in and out that I didn't catch during the recording. So I didn't go back and, and redo or restart or anything. And so um, I did my best to kind of edit so that you could tell what was going on and what everybody was saying. Because, you know, I mean, John's awesome. and We want to hear what he has to say. And, you know, you need to hear what he has to say. So I did my best and hopefully um, it'll be coherent enough for everyone to follow along. I do apologize if it does sound kind of choppy from the editing. And also, I apologize to John. I mean, he's one of our, our best guests. And then, you know, you need to hear what he has to say. He had a lot of good stuff to say, to talk about. And so I apologize that not all of that will be um, 100% audible. <laughs> so my, my deepest apologies. But please listen. It does. It sounds fine what I was able to keep. And, and John, as usual, just has a lot of brilliant stuff to say. And we had a lot of fun doing it, even with the troubles. It was still a great time. So, hope you enjoyed the episode. And, um, yeah, without further ado, that's enough excuses. Get on to the comics. Come on. All right. Well, you'll get what you asked for. <laughs> All right. Here we go. All right. So, first up this episode, we're going to have a special guest. 
uh, returning to the podcast, one of my favorites. Oh, I, I guess I shouldn't play favorites. Um, but no, that's okay. Go ahead. Call yeah, me your favorite. Yeah. One, like one of my favorite guests. And um, it is John. What do you mean I don't get a snazzy nickname just because I missed the intro? Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, I'm short-changed. I want my nickname. <laughs> well, if you had one, it would have been John, be ashamed if something bad happens to my nice jacket, Wilson. <laughs> All right, I can do that. And I have a nice jacket. Have you seen the pictures of me in my Superman jacket? No, I haven't. I have a really awesome Superman jacket. Awesome. Maybe, maybe a... I'll model it for you before we end this since we have video going on. Yes, you should. I'm, I'm expecting it to look like one of those old Superboy covers. <laughs> <laughs> Not too far off. More or less, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, well, um, I feel like I've been doing this a lot lately. But I have a little bit of house cleaning before we get started. It's good to clean your house regularly. Yeah, it is, it is. Um, I messed up. <laughs> and, if, and if Mr. Wilson's been paying attention to my episodes, he probably knows a little bit of where I'm going with this. But um, so here on the podcast, The Ghost Nick, and especially in the flashback episode, which is what we're doing tonight, you know, I kind of have some different factors I look at. You know, John is one of the people that, that talked about this when I sent out the audio questionnaire, um, kind of decided to cover it in story chunks as opposed to like a month-by-month review, and that's been going pretty well. And so when I look at it, I kind of balance like some of the online reading orders I see versus also, though, having some kind of semblance of if I was back then reading it for the first time. So trying to balance kind of publication date versus reading order and this time, so you don't I, want to throw like a you don't want to throw like a 1995 book into 1990, even if it takes place at that time, right? That sort of thing, right? And so I kind of got in a, a, a wee bit of a jam. Uh, not going to blame it completely on the baby, but it's the baby's fault. Um, <laughs> just <laughs> my my organization skills have not been um, maybe what they should be, and I haven't been able to read as far ahead as I usually do when planning the the flashbacks. And so I completely forgot, because it comes out like a good six or seven months later, but I completely forgot that this issue takes place directly before the Meltdown miniseries. Right. And there's even, and we'll, we'll talk about it, but there's even like a reference, like, get ready for this. You know, but, um, and, you know, had I paid more attention to the, it's Travis Starnes, right? I always want to say Barnes, but it's Travis Starnes. Um, if I had paid more yeah. attention to his reading order, I would have seen that he actually puts Meltdown after all the issues we're talking about tonight. I think it goes between them, and I'll, I'll talk about why later. But anyway, so if, if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to the, uh, the fantastic Meltdown episode, then after our first issue, you can either just say, hey, remember that, or you, know, you can pause and go back and do some podcast shuffling if you want. That's completely up to you. But I apologize. This issue, I really should have done. We're going to cover Uncanny 245 first, and I probably should have done that in my Inferno Aftermath episode instead of this one. But here we are, and now John gets to talk with us about it. So that's pretty awesome. I can talk about an actual X-Men issue. I mean, I'm cool. I'm totally cool being the MCP guy. I love being the (laughs) MCP guy. But, um... I get to talk about an expedition. I get to talk about Liefeld. Yeah. And I get right. to sing some praises of Liefeld here. We are. We're going to. Hipsters be damned. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is uh this is right after Inferno. 
And unfortunately, there was no, you know, I was kind of bummed about this, no Wolverine in Jubilee's first appearance. So we missed that on the podcast. I, I talked about it briefly on our Atlantis Attacks episode because her backup story in that comes is her second appearance. So that was an all-female-focused like, issue. And this is focused on the guys. I kind of call it Boys Night 1989. And so John's going to take us through this one. Yeah, take it away. Uncanny 245. So the Uncanny X-Men 245 uh, was shipped on or around on February 21st, 1989, which, like you said, it's a good several months after Meltdown started yeah. hitting stands. So, uh, and it hit stands around March 14th. Rob Liefeld does the cover. It's almost his first X work. He had an X Factor issue the month before, but he is definitely still a new name in comics. Yes. He had done just a Hawk and Dove miniseries and a couple other one-off issues of DC, and that is it. Right. Um, let's see. The cover design, we have Havoc, Wolverine, and Longshot facing off a bunch of guns with Colossus behind them with a silly, comical, oh shit, moment on his face. <laughs> yes. He's shouting, oh, we're surrounded by, oh, sorry, <clears throat> oops, we're surrounded by hostile aliens. Moi, <laughs> <And>, moi. <laughs> and the other three mutants are arrayed so the Wolverine is facing directly into the camera wearing a shirt and um some blue jeans he's holding a cigar and he's mut- I mean, yeah it's it has an exclamation point. i'm pretty sure he's just muttering be a shame if something bad happens to my nice new jacket <laughs> and i really like the design of the cover i think it sets the tone for the comic inside i really like the way wolverine looks havoc looks decent colossus is funny but long shot looks extraordinarily doof ish looks, i mean his hair yeah what's go that ahead. go ahead his, his, his hair's too big and, yes. and which is kind of a thing that liefeld has problems with early <laughs> on um but also his shoulder is too big it's, it's like it's like his face and torso are too small for his arm and hair i don't really know what's going on with him like he definitely stands on. out as being weird <laughs> yeah you know it's funny because up to this point and they even talk about it in the comic besides just the different artistic interpretations Longshot has been classically very pretty. Mm-hmm. And this one, he looks less like young Def Leppard and more like a blonde mid-career Richie Zambora. Yeah. And he's not, he's not pretty. No, he's not pretty. He's, he's very uh, stern looking. Um, I also love the classic Liefeld guns. I mean, these are these. This is his gun design to a T, and I gotta say, like, why do guns have tall rectangular muzzles? I wouldn't understand that, but that's definitely a '90s gun thing. And and it looks like Liefeld is kind of kicking it off because I haven't seen a whole lot of this so far. At least I haven't noticed yet, reading through my Marvel stuff at this point. So I gotta ask, how how nice is the jacket, John? Um. Well, it's a rich Corinthian leather, <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I think he paid like like a hundred bucks for it, or right. he might have just taken it off some guy he stabbed. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, I imagine it still smells like leather. It probably holds the cigar aroma for like a long time. I bet it does. I bet it does. Um, probably more than his his body fur does. <laughs> and are the, I, know. I don't know if that's like a fuzzy bottom or if it's like tasselly fringe at the bottom. I don't know which yeah, is which. which I is. can't tell either. Um, there's something going on, but 
And it's a very short jacket. This is classic um, Rob Liefeld high-waist short torso. But I gotta say, one of the things I noticed first besides Colossus's face was how much his style lends itself to Logan's physique. Like, his facial expressions, his hair, like, is Liefeld to a T. He didn't have to change any style. It's just, here I am, I'm, I'm a Wolverine drawer. It's almost like he grew up drawing Wolverine and then tried to make everybody else <laughs> slightly Wolverine. <laughs> You know, when you get to his you early know, high, image stuff, the high torso. I was going to say, when you get to his early image stuff, that's the truth. There's so many almost Wolverine characters. Yeah. <laughs> um, you were talking about the high waist, short torso thing. I've noticed that a lot with Liefeld and other 90s artists with women, like a high waist, right. short torso and like giraffe legs that go on for three miles. Yeah. But Wolverine's physique is that his yeah. torso is this little box of internal organs <laughs> he has some legs and arms and his claws and that's wolverine yeah he is a short stocky fella so that's not too bad you know i do also love just how huge and massive colossus is and that that carries through the issue it's a bit cartoony but i think Liefeld does cartoony well he does he does okay so let's see what else do i have on this yes I was going to give a couple bits of context for the issue. Uh, you had mentioned that uh, issue 244 was Jubilee's first appearance, right. and that had several females, uh, female members of the team out about being girls. So like you said, this issue focuses on some dudes out being dude bros. Yeah, dude bro and all it up. Also, this issue is a huge riff on Invasion, a miniseries from DC that had probably either just finished or even maybe not quite finished coming out when Liefeld started this book. Okay. Because um, the last issue shipped in early December and this book was late February. So when he started drawing this, I don't know. Right. Of course, if you've seen the DC TV crossover from the fall, you have an idea of what that's all about. Um, but this is the comic oh. is based on... A, that book was largely done by Todd McFarlane, and Ooh. this is Rob Liefeld. Okay. So it's interesting because it's kind of a parody now, but then these two guys would later go start Image together with a bunch of other artists. Right, yeah, and we're probably pretty chummy in the Marvel bullpen right around this time. Around this time, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, so the So eight- was... Well, sorry, just because I've never... I did see the aforementioned crossover, but I never read the miniseries. Is it kind of lighthearted like this or is it more serious no this is a parody definitely of that is invasion was a serious um they were three issues and they were all super thick issues it was like three small comic books you know with a capital b (laughs) Uh, it for me is the i know you're not a huge dc guy um, Legends is a 1987 crossover that kind of kicks off the post-crisis DC world. Um, maybe 1986. Yeah, late 1986. Um, but Invasion, like, really gets a lot of post-crisis characters together to fight off this alien invasion. Okay. Uh, it brings a lot of people into one story that had not been done before. It's a really big story that had a lot of impact at its time and i really recommend it it's it's, it's a lot of fun but the dominators were the big bats oh, in that okay. series if you just do a search for dominators invasion you'll see them so if if you the listener are familiar with those guys imagine the dominators from dc but paint them green <laughs> um the eyes are not squinty they're like bulbous kind of just things okay the uh the teeth are instead of being like 
like razor thin, sharp. They're more like doofus thick things. Like not just buck teeth, but like all the teeth are buck teeth. <laughs> yes, they are. Yeah. They, they have a, a mouthful of rabbit teeth or a, right. little, a little squirrel teeth, really. So these are the not dominators, which is what I'm going to call them okay. the whole time. Sounds good. So we open on one of the not dominators giving a speech, like a huge and varied audience of aliens. Before I get to that, though, we have the credits on this page. So blah, 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 Chris Claremont, writer. Blah, Rob Light, blah. Booty Blab, Dan Green. Dan Green! Dang. I got to say... <laughs> Uh, so, Booty Blab, Dan Green, Inker, Pillage, Tom Orzachowski, Letter, Gratuitous, Violence, Glynis, Oliver, Colorist, Destruction, Bob Harris, Editor, Editor, Blah, 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 Tom DeFalco, Master Bomber. Master Bomber, yeah. So, this speech is the thing where basically Liefeld is drawing every alien character he can think of. Yeah. Um, E.T. is here, uh, Chewbacca, Darth Vader. There might even be a couple of Jawas down there. The uh-huh. Xenomorph from Alien. Um, I think one of these guys is supposed to be a Coop DC, but from the back, so it's not copyright. Anyone else you recognize, Jason? Yeah, so up on the balcony on the page right, where they make fun and it says, but you can't name everybody here. Um, I'm assuming those are probably some other DC characters, maybe, but for sure, Hawkman is there. Um, He's right under the guy's eyebrow that's in the foreground. Um, On the bottom, we have, I think you mentioned Jabba. We also have Bib Fortuna and Bubba Fett. Uh, We have Yoda. Uh, We have Alf. Alf! TV's Alf. We have what looks like an ugly MODOK character. Um... So there's, there's a few things I recognize, but I couldn't quite place. Uh, there is this guy in the space jacket that I'm pretty sure is supposed to be somebody. I don't quite know who it is. With the weird symbol on his chest? Yes. On, the, on his left lapel? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know who that is either. And then there's this guy with the black suit and the glass face that I know I've seen somewhere, but I can't place it. He's got okay. like kind of a monk hairdo for a helmet. But yeah, no, I, you know, I really love these kind of things. And it's kind of like a scavenger hunt. Like mm-hmm. I probably spent ten minutes like going, "Who, oh, who's that?" Oh, I bet I can find someone else. Like, like racking my brain on every little character on who it might be. And I love when artists like hide people in crowd scenes. I'm just, I'm a sucker for that. Um, in the colored panel, the ET down the bottom right. Right next to him is a brown dude with these like ridge lobes who reminds me of something, and I can't think of who it is. And um, yeah, so there are lots of guys here. There's like random, probably pulp sci-fi kind of characters. Yeah, I would imagine so. So oh, you know what okay. I couldn't find that I actually looked for? Yeah, was like future young blood characters. Oh yeah, I like, seen if Life would hide like some of his personal drawings in there but I, I couldn't find any so were you a young blood reader i did i'm actually about to uh go reread some of that and see how much of it i want to keep <laughs> because i need to get rid of some <laughs> physical books because <laughs> um, it is one of the key image titles that i stayed away from in some of my early image reading because i just hadn't heard a whole lot of good about it. but like since image is five years old this year there have been a lot of best image titles ever lists right and young blood has been on them so That's i don't know if it's because of the impact that it had probably but i thought well dude if enough people liked it you right. know 
Because I can admit something has some faults and still get a lot of enjoyment out of it. Yes. Maybe, maybe, maybe I like it. Okay, so not dominator leader is giving a speech. The speech itself is largely ignored. We don't actually get a lot of the speech because there are a lot of blah blahs <laughs> like in the credits. But the gist is, hey, we're going to go conquer Earth. Yep. We then change to Australia where is in Madeline Pryor's monitor room, spying on members of the X-Men, including himself, weirdly enough. It was weird. Um, <laughs> but Wolverine's screen is because he has disabled his scanners again. This is getting to be a royal pain. But it doesn't matter because Wolverine shows up behind Havoc and then in a moral debate um, on the merits of spying on X-Men. Curiously, no one mentions the fact that Storm was... He was spying, and that it's a lot questionable from just about any philosophical perspective. Yeah, yeah, she's um, buck naked taking a shower in one of her little her nature storms. Right, but then he goes up, she interrupts the feud, and she points out that the equipment that he's using to monitor people was created by supervillains. So using it might turn you into a supervillain, so don't do that. <laughs> and Havoc stalks off because it doesn't make any sense. Uh, Storm and Wolverine a little bit longer, and Wolverine you know, maybe the guys need a dude bro trip since the girls had some time away as well. So they're going to go be dude bros. And sometime late, Dazzler has painted Colossus's metal face to look like flesh. Yeah. Because he's been having trouble shifting out of metal ever since Fall of the Mutants. Right. So Wolverine and Long gather up Colossus and they head out through one of Gateway's portals. Meanwhile, that word is used in so many of the transitions in this comic, so you're going to hear it a lot. Meanwhile, <laughs> aboard the not-Dominator flagship, one of their guys shows the, the leaders the gene bomb. <laughs> which is like a big old pun, right? Because in the DC story invasion, the Dominators wanted to eliminate all the metahuman genetics with a, with a gene. Oh. Bomb gene. See, I, I uh, thought this whole thing was just Claremont commentating on his dissatisfaction with the way they were using Jean Grey. I think it's a hell of a lot of that, too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I think he's couching it in a parody. <laughs> oh, nice. All right. Um, so, yeah, the, the was old canister of liquid with a copy of Jean Grey floating in it. <laughs> and it, it possesses the power to fatally disrupt any and all relationships. Her mere presence will dissolve the most loving bonds prompt brother to slay brother and boon companions to tear themselves apart. <laughs> so I'm guessing the bomb, everyone on earth like loses all hint of relationship to everyone else, which seems yeah. like a weird end game, but okay. There's this funny moment where one of their underlings has discovered that earth has repulsed so many invasions at this point from scrolls, Cree, Badoon, and even multiple assaults by Galactus. So maybe this invasion isn't such a good idea. And he runs up to tell the dominator bosses about this, but he startles them and they shoot him dead. <laughs> Oops. It's like, Oh, well he should have known better. And whatever he had to say, couldn't be too important. So we're going to keep on going. Um, <laughs> uh, so needless to say, this book is very parody and very slapstick and very it is not taken super seriously. No, no, but that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. It's okay. It's totally what it's supposed to be doing. Um, so back in Sydney, our four ex-dudes go to a bar called Munden's, and Colossus remembers that the last time they took him to a bar, he had to fight <laughs> Juggernaut right. as payback for breaking Kitty's heart. So um, <laughs> he's not too keen on this idea. <laughs> But Logan is determined to have a kickback, good old time, even though Alex is being all bitter and sourpuss about the whole thing. Well, you know, to be fair, Inferno. <laughs> yes, yes. 
So the boys start drinking, except Longshot, who has a lot of women waiting to dance with him because he is so pretty. Right. Um, when suddenly a bunch of alien spaceships fly overhead. It's like a bunch of sleds. Because uh, there's like these flat bottom ships and they start landing. Uh, the people are driving around in tanks or on foot. And the Australian populace are oddly nonplussed by the whole thing. Uh, and the leader, not Dominator, is a bit perplexed that their invasion is just being ignored. <laughs> he he, order, <laughs> he orders his people to wait until some Earth makes the first aggressive move which is an odd choice to make for a planetary invasion. But it's okay, because there's this one dude who doesn't get the message, and he finds a bar with several enhanced power bioforms, namely our four X-dudes. Yeah. And he starts being mean to Longshot. So Colossus punches him through the window, and Big Alien Dude calls other fellow Big Alien Dudes, and Havoc and Wolverine decide to keep drinking, because yeah. the one are thing we're bothering about. Colossus hasn't covered. Whatever. <laughs> Actually, they don't say Colossus has it covered. You have to wait to see if they keep on drinking because they figure Colossus has it covered or because they're like, whatever, it's just Colossus. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, downtown, one of the not dominators is meeting with the mayor of Sydney. The alien wants him to surrender, and he's like, sure, here, take it. Right. So the, the, the not dominator blows up the Sydney Opera House to show that they need business. But the mayor reminds them that it's a big tourist image, so they're going to have to rebuild it. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the bar, as Colossus continues to pummel aliens, Longshot is attacked by three flying women wrapped in leather straps. They are C-cubed, the cosmic cutie commandos, <laughs> and live to kill pretty men. Like, yeah. that's their thing that they do. And they're staying <laughs> away from us. <laughs> Sadly. <laughs> um, oh, I meant I don't want to die. <laughs> Longshot discovers that their wings are fake. And they're like, oh no, you've discovered our darkest secret. And it's a shame because it turns out these women can't stand the thought of being made fun of for flying with fake wings. That's why they always just attack people first. Right. So no one will live long enough to figure out what's going on and make fun of them. <laughs> So long shots all, but dude, flying is awesome. People will be envious, not hateful. And so they decide to live a new life of self-confidence if only Longshot can just convince their queen, which I guess he does off panel because by the time we see him and them again, they're all yeah. totally right. chilling. <laughs> Meanwhile, at the Daily Planet building in Metropolis, <laughs> Olsen bursts into the press room of the Daily Planet with the news that Australia invaded by aliens. Side note. Um, the base of attack in the DC Invasion series was also in Australia. Really? Yes. Interesting. So okay. He's, but so, the Daily Planet. So, John, what was the uh, what was the impetus? Because for here, obviously, it makes sense because that's where the X Men are right now. What was kind of the reasoning in the DC series? That is a really great question to ask me if I had actually reread all the. Okay. Cool. I just no problem. Skimmed through it and. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually haven't even remembered that it was in Australia. I just noticed that as a... Oh, yeah. I wish I could tell. No um, worries. No worries. So anyways, the Daily Planet does not care about the alien invasion. Meanwhile, aboard Conquest Command Craft, the lead not-dominator decides having so little success getting the population to even acknowledge ultimatums, they're just going to have to detonate the gene bomb. So they're about to, you know, blow it up. 
Meanwhile, on the Sydney streets, um, a couple of random burly aliens, different from the other burly aliens from earlier, but also similarly muscular and burly, um, they find their missing cadres all beaten up, laying out inside the bar on the ground because they got beat up by Colossus earlier. So they go into the bar, and there they find all the sea cube women dancing with Longshot. Yeah. And one of the and and there's this alien commander. They call him Lord Autark. He's like. Superman? Yeah, he is. Thought maybe he was Monel because Monel played a role in the invasion storyline, uh. but I'm pretty sure it's just Superman. Um, he's playing seven cards that with Wolverine, and Havoc stops the, the burly alien guys from making a fuss and suggests they take any violence they want to have outside. But when they go outside and they see the gene bomb being deployed by one of the ships in the sky, the two aliens are like, no, you can't do that. And they start blasting their own flagship. And Havoc starts blasting, too, and helps him destroy. And so, with moderate ado, and some time later, back home, well, because like, they destroyed the ships, that's the end of the invasion, right. Wolverine brags about beating Mr. Muscles in a game of poker. And when Storm confronts them very angrily for no reason about their activities, Wolverine kisses her to off her protests and then invites Havoc on a road trip to Mexico, i.e. the Meltdown story. Yep, that's right in the Meltdown. You're exactly right. And we get a one-page epilogue where Tessa from the Hellfire Club discovers that Donald Pierce has set free from wherever it is the Lord's Cardinal yeah. to the Day of Other Lights. Yeah, so we have a, just kind of a one-page uh, build-up for a new Hellfire Club story. Like you said, uh, Pierce is back and Tessa's trying to find him. And Liefeld's Hellfire Goons look pretty cool. Yeah, I don't think this is what are their names? Cole and McCone or something like that. So it would become part of the reverse. I don't think they're part of this group anymore. No, I don't think so. I think they've already kind of started doing their thing with Lady Death. Yeah, because by this time we've already done um, the New Mutants beginning. So yeah, they're with Donald Pierce now. So yeah, definitely a romp of a story, but pretty fun. Yeah, yeah. So we already kind of talked about how Liefeld's style lends itself to Wolverine. So I was pretty pleased the first time we saw his Wolverine was just kind of how good it looked. Um, the only thing I had to say about it, eyes get blacked out. Sometimes. Oh, and it's cool on the cover and it's cool occasionally, but it loses looking after a while and he does it a lot. In this right. I also thought it was fun that when they're arguing about the, uh, the moral implications of spying on each other, that Storm calls Wolverine out on his multiple um, absences. Of course, you know, talking about his, his trips to Madripoor and such in his solo series. So I thought that was a cool little nod. And then, <laughs> then there's a part <laughs> that I thought was pretty funny. where um, So after Dazzler's uh, making up Colossus, when uh, Wolverine, Havoc, and Longshot come to get him, which, by the way, Liefeld's Havoc is just Jean-Claude Van Damme. In case you're curious. Um, but he comes in, he says, Clock's running, Lightingale. Petey Pureheart better be ready. And Colossus says, Smile when you call me that. <laughs> and that was really, really <laughs> funny. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, kind of um, gives a different undertone, especially considering Ultimate X Men. I also didn't notice when we were introduced to the gene bomb, uh, the little underling that was leading the the not dominators into the lab was like a short, pudgy little cyclops. Yes, I did. I was trying to figure out like if that was supposed to be a model off of something else, but he does look like just a little cyclops. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, let's see what else. 
the panel when they first go to Sydney, like the big, it's like, I don't know, two thirds of the page. And it's got Wolverine lighting a cigarette and Longshot smiling, Colossus kind of being nervous and Havoc being a bummer. Like That's like the poster for the issue. Like it looks great. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's a similar idea to the cover, only without the guns. It looks so better. Yeah, it does. Um, it looks a lot. It's really cool. When Liefeld is character, his cartoony style looks really great. Yeah, I mean the fact that Colossus is talking these guys isn't a bad thing. No. The fact that his pinhead going on isn't really a bad thing. Is it? <laughs> I, I, I actually, honestly, I rather love Liefeld. Yeah. Make bad. It's really bad. But sometimes I, I actually really love his stuff. No, I do too. I yeah, it's a very kind of love hate relationship with with his art and I know it's popular now to, to bag on him in hindsight, but you know, I I've talked about before on this, this podcast and now that we actually have his art in one of the Wolverine issues to actually talk about, like it's easy to see why people loved him so much in this time. Like his mm-hmm. art's just is super dynamic. It's it's yeah, it's exaggerated and stylized and not always good <laughs> as far as like classically being good. But it it has so much character to it and especially, you know, looking at it through the lens of his early stuff and not kind of with the baggage of the fact that he kind of just always does this. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's easy to see why he became a superstar because it's just, it's really fun to read. And just piggyback on that, the other issues we're going to talk about in a minute, the MCP issues, the art in that is much more standard art and it's good. It's perfectly serviceable art. There are hardly any problems with it from a drafting point of view, but it's not nearly as interesting. No, it's not. It's not. At all. I don't, I'm trying to remember. I know it makes sense. We get an official call out of the healing factor affecting Wolverine's ability to get drunk or lack thereof. Um, mm-hmm. And him and Havoc drinking together while the other boys are fighting, I think kind of starts because they start off this issue very um, combative with each other. And as we move through this episode and, and looking at the Meltdown miniseries as well, you really see them kind of grow into like good friends. And this is kind of the start of that. This kind of just kind of hanging out and drinking together and not worrying about all the X-Men stuff is kind of the start of their of Wolverine, Wolverine realizing he, he can actually enjoy a summer's brother. <laughs> yeah. And I remember whenever you did the Meltdown episode that friendships seem to come out of nowhere. Right. But Claremont sets it up here. Yeah, exactly. So that's my bad. <laughs> well, no, because, I mean, Simonson wrote that issue a lot earlier. Right. And it hadn't been set up yet. So Claremont kind of course correcting. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, and it, yeah, it could be kind of a little bit of a, a retcon to a very small degree. I also, there's a lot, you know, you talk about the, the kind of the maybe the obvious or, or to me who didn't wasn't familiar the not so obvious parody of invasion but there's a lot of pop culture one-liners um you know obviously you have kind of the australian dumb thing where the guy talks about putting shrimps on a barbie but he also references the old and i remember these the paul hogan australian tourist commercials and there's a part where havoc says they're going to need a bigger ship um 
talking about the, the alien ships, which, you know, the Jaws reference. Um, and my, one of my favorites is the one where they're trying to blast the gene bomb out of the sky and the guys are shooting their pew pews and Havoc's like, those aren't blasters. This is a blaster. And he shoots with his plasma beam, but that's like a play on the this is a knife line from Crocodile oh, Dundee. Oh, yeah. You so call just, that a knife? Yeah. This is a knife. <laughs> so I just thought that, was re- that stuff was really funny to me. And it didn't play as like, st- like you know, because all this is based on like, you know, 1988, 89 pop culture, but it didn't feel stale. Like just maybe because I have a lot of nostalgia for that era, but it just felt really fun to me. Well, he, he's choosing lines that flow smoothly in the moment. Yes. Like you don't, you don't have to know the crocodile reference, crocodile that reference. It just flows as Havoc being kind of a wisecracker there whenever he gets to show off his stuff and it works. Exactly. So I was trying to remember because I think this is pretty close to the same time that I tweeted at uh, you and Michael Bailey uh, an old Excalibur scene where Claremont uses uh, Clark Kent and Lois Lane as reporters, and that came out pretty close to this. And I know you you mentioned kind of the reference to Invasion, but just kind of curious because I feel like nowadays, or at least earlier in this decade. There's just no way that Marvel and DC would like even jokingly put characters in each other's books because there's just too much either fake or real hostility or whatever. But it feels like at this point in time, Claremont kind of had like free reign to just kind of throw in the the homages or the references or the jokes or whatever. So I thought that was interesting. It is interesting. I, I wonder how much that you're allowed to do from a legal standpoint. Right. Way with because I mean. Honestly, it's it's a building with the words Daily Planet at the top, only you just, it's partially obscured. Right. So, Ailey something. <laughs> and inside, there's a big burly guy with a white, I say burly a lot, not muscle burly, this is like, you know, um, pot belly burly, right. um, with, with the, the white sideburns. And there's a young freckle-faced ginger. Um there at the back desk is a dude with glasses and black hair, obviously Clark getting ready for a broadcast. Right. So, and they call the, the guy chief. Right. If this page, if this page as it exists, were in a Superman comic being drawn by Rob Liefeld, (laughs) nothing would have to be changed. No, not a single word or panel. (laughs) No, no, I mean, other than the fact that, you know, Perry White might care about there being an alien invasion in Australia. Right. But, but just to say, it, it looks like a DC, it looks like a Superman page. Yeah, it does. And, you know, and honestly, when he's drawn the fake Superman playing poker, there's some reason to believe I wouldn't mind seeing a little Liefeld Superman book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he tends to do Superman like he does Colossus. He puts the face and neck down front a little bit of the shoulders right because you know like like a hunchback um <laughs> and th- this guy i mean in case you don't have the comic in front of you mr listener um or ms listener right it's a dude in red and blue it's just a red and blue jump suit he even has blue hands i don't know if they're gloves or that's just what his hands are they look um, like so, gloves but they have fingernails so i don't know <laughs> but it's most definitely a superman head 
Yes. It has the S curl, it has the swoopy hair, it has the rectangular shape. And with the red and blue, it just, it says Superman. Yep. All right. Well, what else? Anything else you got on this one? You wanna... Yeah, I've got a few other things. I was going to go back a little bit. I was going to let you do your thing and then go back. No, no, go for um, it. So the X-Men seem to blame the computer equipment for corrupting Madeline Pryor. <laughs> yeah. It's like if Havoc keeps using it, he might get messed up like she does, which I guess they just don't realize what was going on with her. I don't know. I think when she was, you know, had the horde of demon armies and was trying to sacrifice the baby, it should have been pretty clear. It should have been pretty clear, right? That it was not too much TV. Right. That her brain. It was like Mr. <laughs> Mr. Sinister yeah. or Demons or something. I think he meant too much MTV, right? That's what we were right. all worried about. Right. I want my Madeline TV. <laughs> oh, true. True, true. Um, yeah, um, also, oh, no, I was gonna say, it does seem like a stretch. I mean, I understand that they realized the Reavers were not good people and maybe, and they were, you know, electronic, so it could stand a reason, logically, that there could be something weird with the electronic computers, but it, tying the dot to Madeline flipping her lid doesn't really add up. And this is on Claremont, not on Liefeld, because you can yes. have an exact part on that page and change the points of the debate and make them whenever that's kind of creepy and rude because realize madeline was spying on them so much right you know late in the game um as you mentioned storm does rib wolverine for his frequent absences so just to highlight this i went and grabbed my wolverine chronology published by marvel and i looked up since inferno wolverine has been in two issues to war journal and 13 of his own solo title so yeah, that's a lot. He's been gone a lot. Right. That's a lot of issues to be away from the away from the game. In the same conversation, points out that Havoc has given his heart to two women and lost them both. Yeah. So Havoc is not in the best emotional state whenever he meets Scarlet in Down, or when he meets Layla in the next story that right. he encounters. Yeah, and of course those two women would be Polaris <coughs> and uh, Madeline. Right. Yeah. And by the way, uh, we won't cover all these issues because Wolverine's not in them, really. But (laughs) so back to back to back to back, there's Lorna becoming a Marauder. There is Madeline becoming Inferno. There is Scarlet uh, and Meltdown. We're about to talk about Layla and the whole Pharaoh thing. And then immediately after that, back in Uncanny X-Men, Polaris comes back, and there's that whole like trauma. So having just has a really rough go of it. Yeah, yeah Summer's Bride's not a good one. No, it sure isn't. And they should probably both just swear is... off women. <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing my name is Wilson because the worst that ever happened to a Wilson was getting stranded on a desert island with Tom Hanks. <laughs> Unless you've seen the Family Guy episode, and then it gets a little worse. <laughs> oh well, yes. Um, <laughs> So, in response to being gone a lot, Reed says, well, I'm here when you need me. And Storm asks, what of the day when you are not? And that is some nice foreshadowing from Claremont. I didn't realize the first time I read this, because this is all my... It, when I read this, like, four months ago, it was my first time ever to read this issue. Okay. And now I know what comes next. Um, pretty much in the next arc, because yeah. Master Mold shows up next issue. Yep. And the what happens to the X-Men when the Wolverine is... Yeah, it's pretty, um, it's pretty terrible why he's gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 
Yeah. And then he comes back and it gets worse. <laughs> so what are you going to do? You know, being crucified isn't fun. <laughs> no. So I've heard. Yeah. Um, yes. So the guys leave, and I love that Rogue figures they're probably just going to demolish everything while they're gone. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, Makes sense. It's like boys can't be trusted. And honestly... <laughs> All right, so listener, you're going to notice a slight change in the way the podcast sounds. Uh, we had some technical difficulties, and uh, John is calling in because he's a trooper, and uh, we appreciate it. So be sure to tweet him some thank yous. For taking no, the- it's not me. It's, it's, it's your patience that is, that is the hero here, <laughs> so I appreciate you working with me. Um, my bandwidth was being sucked out by other members of the family, and so we are on regular phone-ness right now, which is... Which is fun. It's like my old days of calling into radio shows. Yeah. Wait, did you ever actually do that? Yeah. You ever listen to KLTY, the Dallas area there? Oh, my gosh. Um, A little bit. It was yeah, a little too this, tame uh, for me. <laughs> they had this Bible prophecy show back. Uh, they might still have it. I don't think so. But um, back in the early 2000s, late 90s, I'd call into that all the time. Really, you know, back, back in my religious days. Well, you know, religious or not, KOTY used to kind of piss me off because they would take um, some of the Christian quote unquote alternative songs that mm-hmm. I actually kind of liked, you know, growing up in youth group. But they would like, I don't know how they got people to agree to this or do this or if they just like re EQ'd them in their own little mystery science lab, but they would like make it so that you couldn't hear the drums and basses good. So that so that it wasn't quite as rocking. <laughs> I just remember. Really? That, yeah, I remember that used to piss me off. I remember very specifically there was a Newsboys song, and shameful to say that the, the Newsboys are my first ever concert. Um, <laughs> but um, my my music indie cred just completely went out the window. But I've seen a whole lot of really good bands since then. Um, anyway, I remember because they had a, because their, their first CD was kind of like, um, I don't know how, how familiar you are with kind of the, the early Brit rock of the 90s, but it kind of had like a Manchester-y sound. So it was kind of dancey and kind of drum heavy. I remember there was a song they had and I, I, I bought their cassette tape, right? And um, I w- listened to the heck out of it. And I remember... One time I heard one of their songs on the radio and it was on KO2 and I got excited, but like I couldn't hear the drum. Like the drums were just kind of like way in the background and I was like, what's going on here? And yeah, I just, I just annoy the crap out of me, you know? So I just listened to The Edge instead. <laughs> <laughs> the Edge was my jam in high school. Yeah. Um, Do you remember Q102? Were you still, was that before or after you, I wonder? Q102? Yeah. Yeah, I had some, uh, yeah. Nice. I used to, triple shot Thursdays were were the best. Um, speaking of you know bad concerts when you were little, I went to a Carmen concert. I skipped Carmen, <laughs> but I hear I feel your pain. <laughs> I went My, to a Michael W. Smith concert. You know what? Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a little bit of, uh, and I didn't ever see one of his regular concerts. But he made a Christmas album that my parents adore. And, oh gosh, it's probably, if the 2000s all blur together to me, but early 2000s, so probably 10 years ago, he came to Dallas with the Dallas Symphony Orchestra to do his Christmas album. We bought tickets for my parents, and it was really good. Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed all of them. I was young. Right. And, you know, 
very different right. <laughs> you, know, you, know, you like what you like and yeah. like i don't want to i don't want to fault today's kids for liking stuff that's different to what i like i'm not going to fault young me but right. i to look back and say wow i was a person wasn't i <laughs> <laughs> not we were not we were um um so speaking of x-men yeah, speaking of X-Men, you said something about Rogue was suspicious that they would just blow everything up, the boys. Yeah, I just I thought that was funny, because it's like, you know, I don't really understand how humanity ever became a patriarchy. Because <laughs> we guys are not good all the time at being on our own. We tend to mess stuff up. Wives have a positive influence on our lives most of the time. Yes. So, yeah. I, I, honestly, I'm convinced that if we went back to being largely a matriarchy with equal rights for all citizens, but like, you know, I think we would get off better. It would be a better, better world. Uh, yeah. My wife and daughter agree. Oh, well, there you go. So we talked about at we least about three out of four Wilson. Wilsons. Yeah, three out of four Wilsons. <laughs> and and Keenan will have a, he'll have a vote later. <laughs> right. When he's old enough to care about something besides Minecraft and Pokemon. <laughs> So we talked about how the gene bomb was Claremont venting about what editorial offices had done with Gene Gray. I love page 13. We talked about the major panel on page 13, which is the four of them arrayed. But at the beginning, they're going to the bar, and Colossus is like, Comrades, I do not wish to be the pooper of this party. <laughs> and he, he he mentioned the thing about the juggernaut, and Logan's like, and a loverly time was had by all. Yeah, <laughs> which is funny. It's weird seeing Logan say loverly, but yeah. Um, <laughs> then at the bottom, Alex is all like, "Hey, hey guys, hey guys, you know, if we really wanted to go somewhere cool, you know, we could really get away with some some awesome stuff in this this place I've heard about, like." This really awesome place where, where you can do anything, get away with it. It's called it's called Madripoor. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> and I can I can just see Logan rolling his eyes. <laughs> Forget it, you boys aren't old enough. <laughs> right. You couldn't take ten minutes with Tiger Tiger. <laughs> right. But Havoc's Havoc is all in. He's like, hey guys, hey guys. <laughs> right. Dude, dude, listen. <laughs> <laughs> And he also says yo bro later at one point. But I think the funniest yeah. part about this panel is they just walked in the bar and the way Liefeld draws that panel besides the, the Wolverine black eye you were talking about. But Havoc already looks hammered. <laughs> he does a bit. <laughs> he does a bit. Um, and yeah, the, the part with Longshot dancing with the pretty girls and all the hearts is fun. I didn't really have a whole lot of specific notes through all of the fighting. So we get toward the end of the issue where it's the guy who looks like Superman. And um, I mentioned that I thought he might have been Monel. And one of the reasons I thought he might have been Monel is because for a while at least, Monel had a sort of non. And for those who don't know, Monel is an alien who is from a race that is very similar to Kryptonians. At the beginning of his story and continuity is that he lands on Earth and he has amnesia and Superboy thinks that he is his older brother because oh, okay. it's a ship from Krypton. And oh. so he gives him a name that has the House of L in it and since it was a Monday that day they called him Monel. 
<laughs> that sounds like a golden age story. <laughs> and Silver Age. Oh, okay. DC Silver Age. All Silver right. Age Superman is a sitcom. Um, <laughs> that's hilarious. So, yeah. So that's how that happens. But anyways, so he's gone through a lot of iterations. And at one point, he had just that sort of, sort of generic red and blue suit. And so I thought this was him. And at one point, Monel goes by Valor. And during the part where Wolverine and Superman are trying to bluff each other out, he inner monologues something about being the better part of Valor. So it's like, oh, this must be an in-joke. Oh. But the whole Valor thing doesn't even happen for another year or so after this. Okay. So there's no way that could be. But the thing is, is like, there's nothing in the monologuing, there's nothing in the script that feels like a Superman riff. Right. So the joke doesn't really land. Yeah. For me. He's just for some reason playing poker with a guy who looks like Superman. I don't <laughs> get it. Yeah. Um, which is weird because the, the Daily anyways. Planet thing worked really well. So it's just, and um, the previous scene I referenced in Excalibur worked really well. So this one just kind of seems like he just wanted to keep doing it. And I don't know. Right. And this just didn't, or Liefeld did a really cool scene and Claremont just didn't know how to land the joke. I don't know. <laughs> um, Anyway, so Storm is really mad and really sexy whenever they show up. Like, she's standing there in her underwear, which, you know, Storm doesn't really need clothes, and that's fine. And it's really freaking hot in the outback, and that's fine. And she has big old hair, just like Rogue does. She and Rogue both have big old Wolverine hair. Right. Um, which which is a Liefeld thing. Yeah. But I don't really get what she's mad about. Like, the guys show back up, and she's like, she's like, <clears throat> It would appear you gentlemen had yourselves a grand old time. And I don't know why she's mad. I'm not sure either. Like she's, I mean, she's a, she, go ahead. Well, she's in Australia. It just occurred to me that this is all in Australia. She might have, like, seen the alien invasion. Yeah, maybe. possible. But even then, it's she's, like they had the boys had, like, Storm's blessing to go have their little boys' night out. And Rogue is like, they're going to get in trouble, you know. Sugar and Rogue's, and Storm's like, yeah, probably. And then they go get in trouble and they come back. And you're right, Storm's got her arms crossed in her little like leather halter top vest she's wearing there. Um, yeah, honestly, she's wearing panties yeah. and um, a bra, only leather. Right. It's weird. Yeah. It's, it's weird. And Dazzler is wearing a long T-shirt. Dazzler is wearing sleep clothes. But she's wearing long shot shirt, probably. That's what she's been wearing. <laughs> Probably walking out a long shots shirt and not much else. Right. I mean, I'm not going to fault him. It's it. The sun is coming up, so it is early morning. Maybe they just walked out of bed and it's to right. the guys. Yeah. I don't know. I also don't really know why it's okay for Wolverine to just kiss her out of nowhere. Like, how does that make everything okay? And well, as, uh, as Jean Grey said in Inferno, that kiss. <laughs> This kiss, this kiss. Oh, my. <laughs> um, she's also really swooned by, like, the whole idea of male awesomeness. I think she's better than that. But then, this last page of the story is just really weird. Yeah, After it is After doing so much of the issue, this is a <laughs> weird last page. I, I agree. It's pretty, pretty odd. So the only other note that I had is that when Chris Claremont is intertwining continuity between his own various titles. He usually keeps things pretty tight, with only a couple of exceptions that stand out in my mind. Um, Meltdown is not his book. Right, it's not. So he didn't have to do anything for it, but it is cool that he gives a nod here 
to where that major selling book fits in with his narrative. And Marvel's chronology for Wolverine also puts another slew of solo issues and side appearances after this issue, <laughs> including the MCP books we're going to talk about in a minute. Right. But that was my last note on this issue. Cool. Well, so I, I think we've been um, probably more positive on Liefeld than modern listeners might expect. Um, any final thoughts on, on how much you enjoyed the art? Um, just that uh, I, I've podcasted before about Mike and Liefeld. Um, I did some views from the Lombok's issues with Bailey about the um, reborn issues of Avengers that oh, Liefeld nice. did yeah. and, and Captain America and stuff. So, <laughs> you know, there are problems. But when he's on, he's really cool. Yeah. And I think if his career had lended him more towards parody and slapstick style story storytelling, I think it might have serviced his style better. Right. I, I think also he gets I think some of his downfall was when he started writing. <laughs> yeah. His storytelling is not the greatest and a lot of you can see whenever Simonson takes over New Mutants that she has to extra script a lot because his plotting is just not very tight. Right. So what are some shortcomings in his abilities get more emphasized the more responsibility he has for the issue? Yes, that is definitely true. But like he did Hawk and Dove for New 52 in DC. It was fine. Yeah, and um, I enjoyed his limited run on Deathstroke as well. Yeah, Deathstroke was good. He did a couple issues of Grifter that I enjoyed. I mean, he does good stuff. Yeah, cool. All right, well, so what do you think of the story overall? Uh, is this like building up to a rating or just story thoughts? Uh, yeah, yeah. We're pro- unless you have a lot more to say. Then no, uh, I was just going to sum up um, my summative thoughts, Counselor. Um, <laughs> this is a fun issue. It really is. It's intended purely as a romp. And I think it'll probably, I think it's still funny even if you don't get the references to DC's Invasion, which you didn't. Right. Maybe even realize we're there. No, not at all. <laughs> um, and the art is usually pretty solid. It has a couple fun bits for Wolverine. Really, there's a lot in here that I've liked. Um, there's no emotional weight, so I could dock it for that. But it's not supposed to have emotion. That's not the genre it's doing. And I, since it's connected to Invasion, it has kind of a soft spot in my heart. I gave this book five out of six incompetent Australian invasions. <laughs> well, I also gave it five out of six claws. I enjoyed... Did you really? You're not just copying me? No. Well, maybe a little bit, but but I do have it. <laughs> I do have it in writing, so um, <laughs> it's all good. No, I just I really enjoyed it, and I'm very I'm very wishy washy on kind of silly issues, and this issue is very silly, and I. Honestly, I usually, on these kind of issues, I will either love them or hate them. But I really enjoyed this one. And, um, yeah, no, just it was really fun. And, and you're right, there's not a lot of emotional weight. But at the same time, this is, even re- even if it's retroactive, it is kind of, you know, the, the, the forming of, of Logan and Alex's friendship through alcohol. And, you know, what, and better, I, what better way to start, you know, 
relationships in the outback than going to bars. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I just I really enjoyed it a lot. Um, if if yeah, I, I don't really know what it needed to have gotten that uh, that sixth claw for me, but it wasn't that far off. Cool. Well, that is going to take us in. So, meltdown just happened. <laughs> well, see, interestingly, in the in, in obviously chronology is subjective. So, yes. whatever chronology, but the the one that I was looking at put meltdown after this next story. We're it does, about. and um, and I think the reason it does that is because there's another reference to Havoc's women problems, and it references even if slyly. Um, and references Lorna and Madeline and doesn't reference Scarlet. And it kind of emphasized that he's never been with a normal woman before. Right. And so I, I can see that, but at the same time, I'm trying to remember exactly what I thought here, but it felt like, I mean, obviously this can't come before the issue we just did. This This has to be after 2.45 and with the reference to the bar in Mexico, you feel like meltdown happens pretty quick after 2.45. Right, and there is, I mean, the, um, I don't know if you have part one of the story, but it, it opens up with the caption, uh, he's taking a long-needed rest. Right. Away from the rest of the team, he wants nothing more than to take in the natural wonders the Australian continent has to offer. Right. So, so you can say that's mourning for Madeline, or you can also say... That's mourning for the whole thing that just happened with Scarlet. So I, I mean, it's 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 kind of up to your own subjective, whatever. But for me, it feels like it falls more after meltdown. But also, I'm not really sure. I mean, Claremont obviously ties it in, and and there's some loose references to Inferno inside the meltdown. But I don't know how strict that was supposed to actually fall into continuity in its original intent. So I think that might be part of why it wouldn't be necessarily explicitly referenced in this story, even if it oh, was. Because it was from the epic imprint, right? Right. Yes, it was. So those epic stories were all about continuity characters, but were they supposed to be in continuity as a general rule? I don't know. Right, and it depends on the story. <laughs> so like the Electra story. Is one of those weird stories that wasn't in continuity, but then later continuity stories will, will borrow parts of it. So it's right. it's one of those kind of weird things. And I kind of see Meltdown's the same thing. It's kind of loosely tied into what's going on with the X-Men, but not really strictly in the universe per se. So I don't know. It's, it's weird. But It seems to have had a huge impact when it hit, though. Yeah, I think it was kind of a little bit of a surprise. I mean, I think Marvel knew what they had in, in the Simonsons, but remember, Walter was an artist at this point, and he didn't draw this book. And so I think they may have been a little surprised at how successful it was. But um, but regardless, whether you want to put this before or after, we have another Wolverine and Havoc team-up in Marvel Comics Presents, issues 29 through 31. And I will kind of hit them all in one big chunk, and then we'll kind of talk about it how we want. Um... When this is a Pharaoh's Legacy story, which is written by Howard Mackey, which was art by Rich Buckler and Bruce Patterson. And you kind of already alluded to this. Fine art, very Marvel House style. The, the story is also going to be lettered by Bill Oakley and colored by Andy Yankus. And um, we have some pretty cool covers that I'll talk about kind of as we go. 
Nothing hard. This is part um, six through eight of eight. So the first five stories, the first five chapters, just to give a very, very brief uh, breakdown, our story so far is that Havoc meets yet another troubled girl. It's either girl number three or girl number four, depending on where you want to put it. Her name is Layla O'Toole. He meets her out in the outback and saves her from mercenaries. They spend weeks falling in love before she gets kidnapped. Havoc traps her to Egypt to find her captured by the cult of the living Pharaoh. He fights the fist of the Pharaoh, which were his elite guards, doing pretty well until being confronted by Plasma, the final fist and new heir to Pharaoh, and definitely not Layla. <clears throat> <laughs> My major complaint <laughs> that will be about this story is how obvious that reveal was from the beginning. But um, that, yeah, that, like everyone, everyone knows except Havoc. Right, exactly. <laughs> but anyway, now, to be fair, the only this just occurs to me. The only thing is that she has a severe body built change. Yes, yeah, she gets roided right? up for much sure. Taller, so so I can you know. I, I guess if I were right there in the moment and I knew like my slender petite girlfriend and I saw this Amazon walking toward me with similar <laughs> hair color, I might not automatically go to it. But as a reader, God, it's so obvious. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty there. Um, so let's talk about that. We'll talk about the cover to 29 is by Dennis. Well, about to kill Havoc. Yeah. It's by Dennis Jensen and Dan Atkins. And I'm not super familiar with either of these guys, but it, it literally kind of refer, or mirrors one of the scenes in the book. Havoc's laying in some a little green pond, and Wolverine looks like he's about to gut him. And then, of course, you have the back and the other stories, which, you know, kind of inconsequential to the podcast that goes nicked. But um, basically, in this, um, Havoc escapes from the Egyptian temple, falling into blackness. He had, in an earlier issue, referenced that he had left several messages on the X-Men answering machine. <laughs> so we find out that Wolverine has been searching the desert for him and literally follows his nose to find him unconscious in a pool of water. Wolverine gives us some good exposition for why he's there before being attacked by Pharaoh's goons. Wolverine charges into the fight, but gasp, the goons ignore him to nab havoc. Wolverine fights his way onto a glider where he is grabbed from behind by a tracker, and the tracker are the super pharaohs. Before he can respond, having blast a dude crash in the gliders, our heroes rejoin to mount a rescue for Layla. And so real quick, uh, what are your thoughts on the plasma design? We kind of get a big reveal on page one of this issue um, with her new costume. Just kind of curious what you thought about it. You know, I like Rich Buckler. I like this design. We are in an era of comics where sexualization is really starting to become popular. Yes. Um, I've been doing a read-through of all X titles and all Spider titles that precede this. So you can see the change in tastes. And in the early 80s, sexualization of women, still not a thing. By the time you take over to 1990, it's definitely started to take root. Yeah. It's not happening here. 
Yeah. Um, you have a female outfit. She looks strong. She could be an Amazon in uh, Wonder Woman's, yeah. you know, characters, although she's an Egyptian design. The only thing that I'm going to call to question anatomically, and again, it's not sexualized, but it's there in the shadows. She has really big boobs. But she does the whole story, to be fair. Um, Did she earlier, too? Yeah, so if you if you read the beginning, she shows up in, like, actually a costume that reminded me a lot. I don't, I know you're kind of, you're like me, kind of working through these titles in a certain order. But if you read any of the early Jim Lee uh, adjectiveless X-Men stuff, Rogue had a very popular um, wardrobe choice where she wore, like, Daisy Dukes and, like, a kind of flannel shirt but tied up around her boobs. And that's kind of what Layla shows up in. In fact, the very first scene, she's bending over the hood of her car and Havoc drives up and goes, nice. <laughs> you know what? I am flipping through part one and part two, and you're right. The, the girls are definitely there in full effect. Yeah, um, yeah. And they're a lot more blatantly show whenever she's mortal, shall we say, right. than later. The, the reason it struck me, and, and again, I've never been a girl. I've never had boobs. But my understanding is that um, being largely fatty tissue, as you bulk up, you tend to lose some of that mass. Normally, so yes. you can, you can <laughs> either have big boobs or big muscles, but not both. Right. And the, the Pharaoh God version of her is extremely muscular. She's definitely a bodybuilder type physique, not obscenely nineties. So but right. it's definitely there. So I was like, why is she so muscular? And she's still like D cup behind that. Um, <laughs> And it's 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 a it's a very small complaint. I do like the plasma design. I think it's pretty cool it Egyptian pretty cool. looking thing. Yeah, it's yeah. not a character that will ever show up again, no. as far as I know. Not as far as I can tell. Uh, someone should bring it's her like, back. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go to Chronology Project and just see uh, see if she ever does show up again. But um, yeah. But on page three, we get the podcast that goes sniff sniff. Um, <laughs> As Wolverine literally just smells his way across mile of desert um, to find Havoc's body. I like that he has a canteen around his waist. I also like his... I like that he has a turban around the cowl. Yeah, that was interesting. That was so... To me, that felt like 80s cartoon. Or maybe even 90s cartoon. But like... Or like the plethora of like random action figures that you would get were like... It's go to the grocery store, Batman. <laughs> yes, it's it's like still it's like pre-crisis Batman, especially Adam West. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, I like on page, and this is why I kind of also attribute this to being maybe after meltdown. Is Wolverine is very keen on the massive extent of Havoc's lady troubles. Now, you could argue it's just Polaris and Madeline, but considering they were so close in the Lady Troubles and Meltdown, it seems like Wolverine would be more likely to reference that to me, but that's just me. Um, it also seems because there's, there's a part where Havoc refers to Wolverine as his best friend in this story, 
And that seems like it would have to be after meltdown to me. Like I, yeah, they bonded over some drinks and um, the issue of uncanny, but I don't know if that's enough to be best friends yet. Whereas after they go through what they go through together in meltdown, I can see them being super close. So although although if we go with the literal meaning, maybe Alex just doesn't have many friends and Wolverine is could, the best one. I has. thought about that too. So yeah, you could argue it's, about it's, it's, it's the it's the poor pathetic interpretation. <laughs> no, it, it works too though. I do like Buckler's detail after Wolverine kind of saves Havoc and he gives him the canteen. You get kind of the close up on the face and you can see that Havoc's still unconscious. So he's not really drinking all the water and it's like dribbling out of his mouth. I thought that was a nice detail. Wolverine charging into the fight, like ready to take on all these guys, and they basically ignore him. I thought was pretty hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, though something, I forgot how in the eighties it was still so okay to be uber racist. <laughs> oh, were there comments? Uh, well, Wolverine calls sand all the, rats, sand rats, and he also calls them ragheads, which I'm pretty sure is pretty offensive. Um, yeah, I yeah I've heard you you hear towel heads in more modern parlance, and it's really I don't even know why I said it out loud just now. It's really right uh, distasteful. Yeah, term. and so to be to be clear, neither John nor I support such um, language. But, no. Um, there is also the I, I do call people poopy heads sometimes. Well, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> There is a nice panel where Wolverine also says that there are cemeteries full of people that have tried to kill him. I thought that was a nice Wolverine line from, you know, a guy that hasn't written a whole lot of Wolverine up to this point. So Right. Alright, anything else on that particular issue? Um I thought that in the uh, the first page, whenever he was surprised that it was a woman, um, I felt he was kind of right to be surprised because in the previous issue when they were fighting he was plasma was totally a dude yes. with big gray dude arms <laughs> and then the outer armor just the armor cracks and falls off and beneath the armor this dude is a chick right a little so, yeah. slight of hand there by the by the artist uh, we talked about how he uh is really still on the uptake as far as layla page four panel three come on kiddo I saw the mess you left at the airport. Talk to me. I've gotten to what we're up against here. No, 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 no. The one before that. You sounded bent out of shape. I hope this ain't over some skirt again. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, Logan, you poor sad fool. Um, <laughs> at least he didn't say frail, like like his buddy Sabretooth. <laughs> yeah. But it just occurs to me, why isn't Wolverine trying to pretend to be dead? I don't know. Um, he could use some really super effective disguise like a hat. And like maybe a black glove on one hand or yeah, something. Yeah, or a tiny, tiny eye patch that barely covers right. the eyeball. Or, or maybe just like a, a, a nose. <laughs> a, fake, a, a fake nose. That, that would work. Nose. If he wore Groucho Marks like Mustache. glasses and nose to uh, to Madripoor, that would have made that story so much cooler. <laughs> dude. Dude. <laughs> um, but yeah, I didn't really have a whole... I mean, it, it's, it's a perfectly serviceable chapter. I'm going to knock it slightly because it does ignore Wolverine's secret identity of being dead. Right. So I'm giving it three out of six Adam West Wolverines. Okay, cool. Um, Let me just ask a question real fast. Are because mine are all the same. Are you, do your grades vary on these three chapters? Uh, The other two are the same. This is the only one that's lower. 
All right, cool. All right, so we'll, we'll carry on. I'll save my grade for the end, and you can grade as we go. How does that sound? Okay. All right, cool. So the cover to number 30 is by a guy named Steve Geiger and P. Craig Russell. I recognize P. Craig Russell from Marvel Fanfare. I'm not real familiar with Steve Geiger. Um, I was just reading some Spider-Man that was drawn by Steve Geiger. Oh, okay, cool. I did, I did look up our other guy, though, the uh, Dennis Jensen. Yes. So he had some pre-crisis DC credits. He did a lot of Dial H for Hero. Okay. He had a run on Flash. And he did a few months of Superman, both in DC Comics Presents and in Action Comics. Hmm. Um, and then he took several years off of comics, and he came back like right around this time. Okay. It's one of his first credits after about five years off. Oh, wow, cool. Well, welcome back, not Klaus Jansen. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's unfair. <laughs> um but yeah, so this cover by Steve Geiger actually tries to put Wolverine in his disguise uniform. Oh, really? Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, his black on the back, just to point out, his Black Panther looks pretty great. The only thing I don't like about this cover, and it's pretty serviceable, but looking at Havoc's hands, you can literally hear him going, pew, 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 because <laughs> his hands are like flat as a board and he's like pointing out and he's kind of doing a woo 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 other than that it's a fine cover yeah I was impressed that Wolverine was actually back in his black suit well, not if only on the cover because yeah. it doesn't happen in the story yeah, only in the cover um so in this one a heart gone mad all these chapters that are heart themed you know Wolverine and Havoc are, are tracking down Layla they find him in a confectionery which I thought isn't that where you get candy I don't know um, I thought so too. Yeah. Anyway, they they meet some some bad dudes and they fight them, and lots of fighting in this issue. Uh, Wolverine finds a trap door. He and Havoc go downstairs. They get some tunnels, see some skeletons, see some Egyptian art. Make their way into the temple where Plasma blasts Wolverine and knocks him out. Havoc blasts Plasma, and yet another story. Um, where someone is trying in, to intentionally get shot by Havoc to power up as Plasma wants to absorb his power. And then she slaps Havoc down, takes off her helmet, weirdly is still wearing her flower hippie headband under there, <laughs> and says, I'm Layla, you can't rescue her. She's right here. <laughs> well, she's got to keep the bangs out of her eyes. True. Well, there she doesn't have bangs. She's got to get her front hair out of her eyes. So Yeah. The headband's probably a good idea. Yeah, it is pretty cool. Um, so Buckler gives us a great first page, I thought, with Havoc blasting through the door and Wolverine just kind of diving in. Um, now, it almost looks like with him being in front of Havoc here <laughs> and then, like, rolling on the next page, it almost looks like Havoc just blasted Wolverine through the door. It kind of does. And we know from Meltdown that uh, getting blasted by Havoc kind of exposes some bone on Wolverine usually. So... I don't know, but yeah, it does look like he's... He right. rolled with it. Yeah, he stopped, dropped, and rolled. <laughs> Stop, drop, and healing factor. Right. Um, on page three, we get a nice snicked, and he says, I'll take the one on the left. <laughs> right, because like, all these guys show up. I can just see this happening in a movie, too. Like, Right. You take the one on the right, I'll take the one on the doors open, guys walk out. Dun, dun, and the music yeah. gets more sinister. Yeah. We know what it feels like. It feels like Harrison Ford delivering this line as Wolverine. Like, I can totally see 
either Han Solo or Indiana Jones in this same predicament. Like, oh, don't worry, I got him. Oh. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, the, and the that whole page is pretty good, though, even with kind of Wolverine's overly goofy face in the middle panel. But Havoc looks great, and I, I like Buckler's version of Havoc's power. I like his power. I like the concentric circles. I really like Buckler's drawing of Havoc's hat. Yes. Because Havoc has a terrible hat. Oh, he does. But Buckler almost makes it work. And when you have the zoom in on Havoc and that red jewel with the little diamonds around it for no reason, it just, for some reason, it looks really, he makes it look good. He does. Uh, that, that you're mentioning probably my biggest disappointment in the story, but yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, it does. It does look good. So I thought this was a, just a fun, a fun chapter in our fun little story. Any, I mean, it's a lot of fighting. Any specific thoughts before we go to the next one? Um, Havoc makes the comment to Wolverine how Layla's not his girlfriend. And I'm like, y'all went road tripping together. You stayed in the same places. She right. told you she loves you. She is totally your girlfriend. Yeah. Maybe you weren't ready for the L word. I'm in lesbians with you or whatever it is. But <laughs> she's your girlfriend. Yeah, um, she totally is. I like the moment where Wolverine thought it was going to be easy. Then he got shot in the back. Yeah. And... Yeah, Havoc has said this one woman in his life who's normal thing before. Like, he's made that thought a few times in this story. Um, right. That's so kind of his we... thing. He thought Madeline was normal because she didn't have powers. And then he thought Scarlet <laughs> was normal. He thought Lay was... Everyone's normal except for Lorna. And, well... <laughs> yeah. yeah, so whether you include Scarlet in the list before, you know, Lorna, Madeline, and maybe Scarlet. Yeah. It feels like he is saying that he has never dated anyone else. Right. Ever. And maybe he didn't, you know? Some people... Which is sad because he's working on his doctorate. That means he went through undergrad college life <laughs> and grad school with other smart women beside him. And he's in his postdoc stuff. Not postdoc because he's working on his doctorate, but you know his his doctoral program stuff, and he's never had a girlfriend besides Lorna. Yeah, yeah and he didn't meet her until X Men Fifty or so. <laughs> I I feel bad for his like he must have like Smurf balls or something. I don't yeah, know. I don't know. They're some, so blue and sad. Some guys are just late bloomers. I didn't really start dating until almost the end of college, so. Yeah. Okay, well. What are you going to do? Also, the reveal at the end is totally not a reveal. I was not surprised at all. No, not, not even a little bit. Um, for me, this was the best of the three that we're going to be covering. It was a pretty decent chapter of a decent story. There's nothing here to make me get excited, but there was nothing here that was bad. I gave this one four out of six. And it's the only one that gets four. Four out of six predictable reveals. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. All right, so number 31, we have... Our cover by John Bogdanov and P. Craig Russell. And um, we're really starting to transition because this is the last chapter of Pharaoh's Legacy and we're getting ready for a new Excalibur story. So they really get as much of the cover. Jay Bog um, is an interesting artist. This is before his super stuff, right? Yes, he okay. does um, Marvel stuff before he goes over and does super okay. stuff. 
So his New Mutants run, his Exterminators run, and this story, there's a weird, you know, you talk, we talked about a little bit about sexualization earlier. He has a weird, almost Mad Magazine-esque, like, cartoon perversion to a lot of his art that I don't, I don't think it's terrible, but I don't really love it. Um, like, for example, on this cover, we have... You know, a nice close-up of Rachel's butt. And then we have weird nipple outlines on Megan that don't really need to be there. Um, but then his, like, not Looney Tunes, like his Looney Tunes weird heroes look really cool. So it's just, it's a weird style full of weird choices. But it's not a terrible cover, I guess. It makes you wonder if that's supposed to be Bugs Bunny or if it's supposed to be Jackson from the Marvel Star Wars run. Right? Or Captain Carrot. <laughs> I mean, there's right. a little bit of all that But kind. speaking of sexualization, like, Kitty Pride looks just fine. Yeah. Which yeah. is good. She's the youngest of those three. Right. You know, he did some Power Pack before this, and I thought he was really good on Power Pack. Yeah, um, he's not a bad artist. I just remember reading some of the stuff leading up to Inferno and during Inferno, and some of the new mutants got pretty weirdly... It is weird, because it's not sexy, like... I think you're thinking of Brett Blevins. That's some of that, too. His wolf's bane is insane. <laughs> um, but it's not... It's, it's a, but it's a weird cartoony thing. Because it's not... It's not the same kind of sexualization you'll get from the future image guys like Mark Silvestri and Jim Lee. Because it's not a realistic sexiness. It's just... A, I don't know. I think the Mad Magazine thing is kind of on point. You know, kind of the... The, the cartoon perverseness, which, I mean, has its place, but I don't know. Anyway, enough of that. Um, <laughs> on In here, Plasma reveals that she played Havoc all along. It was a, it was a honey trap. Um, she needs him to blast her so she can become the new living Pharaoh. He refuses, so she attacks him, and she blasts the roof, causing the temple to collapse. Wolverine very timely wakes up and gives Havoc a congratulatory slap on the back after Havoc knocks out Plasma, effectively breaking up with her. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, really not a whole lot happens in this issue that you don't expect. There is a part where Wolverine says, take a number, bub, which I thought was pretty cool. Other than that, it's pretty just run-of-the-mill... Let's get out of this alive story. And Plasma gets buried under rubble, conceivably leaving her open for a comeback, but I don't think it ever happens. Oh, dude. Dude, guess what? It does? Mark Spector Moon Knight issue 25, April 1991, boy. That makes sense, has, though. Because the yeah, whole Egyptian Moon Knight thing. It's Howard Mackey as well? Yes, that's why awesome. he, he's the only person who would have known about this character for your <laughs> So, like, it, it, his issue is between a Chuck Dixon arc and a J.M.D. Mateus arc. He has a, he has a, a double-sized fill-in issue, or one-off issue, with art by Mark Bagley. And here's a description from my comic shop. It says, Ghost Rider guest stars in a double-sized milestone issue. Flamehead helps Moon and Knight... When the Knights of the Moon challenge Mark Spector's right to serve as a warrior of Khonshu. And if that isn't enough, Plasma attacks. 48 pages. Nice. 
I mean, it definitely ties into the whole Egyptian mythos of Moon Knight. So that's right, mm-hmm. right. Which I guess is the only gateway you can have for plasma. But as far as I know, that is her only other appearance. Okay, well there you go. Um, yeah. See, um, just talking about the story overall, I thought it was fun. It had a nice um, kind of Indiana Jones like archaeological thing. I butchered that word. I'm sorry. Archaeological. And it ties into Havoc. And they mention it. And this is the part that kind of bugged me. So they, they mention the tie-in of Havoc defeating the original living Pharaoh. But if I remember correctly, and it's been a long time since I've read that, the jewel on his headdress also relates to the living Pharaoh. And the fact that they don't mention that at all in this whole story kind of bugged me. Unless I'm wrong. Well, and... yeah, because that's part of why he has this hat. Right. He has this hat because of that story. And yeah. after that story, the whole purpose of his hat no longer exists. <laughs> but he keeps on wearing it. So it's like doubly terrible. And then after he stops wearing it, he always he like keeps the design of the tri you know, the, the three rays going at perpendicular angles from his from his uh, forehead. Right. So even if he doesn't have like the actual bands and, like, do those jiggle when he moves his head? I would assume so. Are they, like, card, like, construction paper? They're just, like, floopy and stick out there and, like, float around his head whenever he moves his head or the wind blows, they, they flop around. I don't know. I always I just know. assume they're those old slap bracelets. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. <laughs> those kind of squeeze, though, they probably hurt. Like, they give you, like, it's a really tiny amount of pressure on your head. But like after five minutes, you really, really start to hate it. <laughs> yeah, I get you with the hat. I, I don't know. Havoc's design is so memorable that even though it's kind of terrible, I still kind of love it. Right. Because you can't forget what Havoc looks like. Yeah. And some people do really cool stuff with his art and design. So it's not an all bad thing. But this particular chapter was an info dump chapter um, <laughs> at the very beginning, at least. And I was actually kind of glad that they Howard Mackey thought this through. And when I was rereading it for tonight, I had read it before. So I remembered the reveal at the end. And so I was going into the story saying, oh, I know where this is going to go. But there were a few elements in the early chapters that. I was like, but wait a second, how is this supposed to fit in? And he answers those questions in the info dump. (laughs) So having forgotten some of the details of how the plot works, I was like, oh, okay. So there's that. Um, But after the info dump, I got bored. It's only eight pages, and it was still too long. (laughs) Um, Fair enough. Boring is bad, which is why I gave this ending chapter three out of six info dump resolutions. Right. Fair enough. So I gave all three of these issues four out of six claws for being not awesome, but fun. And mm-hmm. and I enjoyed the art. I thought Buckler did a good job. It is, like we kind of talked about, a little bit house style, but there were still some pretty great shots on there. Some pretty great panels and just... Thought thought you did fine. Yeah, it's 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 solid artwork. Yeah, and the story overall you were talking about earlier, yeah, it's it's a little Indiana Jonesy, which 
which you should have with Havoc, I think. He's an archaeologist, right? Yeah. So that's what you should do. He's the archaeologist who will never, ever, ever get his doctorate. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, it's a fine story. I mean, I haven't read very many Havoc-focused stories at this point because there haven't been that many yet. Right. But it's all right. Yeah. It's pretty good. So, I won't remember the details in two weeks. No, I won't either. That's why I have written notes. There's <laughs> um, a little bit about these kind of other issues. Um, there's a really cool, uh, and we mentioned this on the last episode, a 25-part Black Panther story uh, with really nice art by Gene Cohen. Um, so I would recommend reading that if you care about the Black Panther. It's written by Don McGregor, who also did the big jungle action run of Black Panther that is considered the first graphic novel. Oh, okay, cool. It's not just serial... Well, I haven't read it. My impression is it is it's more than just serial storytelling. He actually had a, a rather extensive plot mapped out. Awesome. And he takes a huge number of issues to tell that story. Well, that that has and, the same feel as this thing, because it's obvious that he knows where he's going. But, yeah, that's cool. And I, just, I also want to point out, because in case you haven't listened yet, since we kind of dumped on Gene Cohen for his work on Wolverine 9, I just want to say that his work on this Black Panther story is fantastic. So, you know. I can I can say what I think, both good and bad. I, I just am generally a Gene Cohen fan, and this works really well. Uh, a lot of it with Black Panther, especially in the 80s and the pointy ears, is just Batman without a cape, but it's still really good. Um, I was also really surprised, if you get the chance to read, there's a very dumb-sounding-on-paper story about a cyborg named Coldblood that's actually kind of interesting, as so I was very pleasantly surprised. But mostly that is neither here nor there for the podcast that goes snicked. So, um, any closing thoughts? Not really. This was, I mean, this, I enjoyed going back and revisiting it, um, especially with the Wolverine focus. And whatever you mentioned, Wolverine shows up at the end. I kind of imagined in my head, like him showing up on the last couple of pages and be like, yo, what's up, Alex? Let's get a, let's get a mix of it together. <laughs> Right. Um, I forgot he was actually involved in three whole parts of the story. Well, he wasn't really involved in part three. He was unconscious for a lot of it. Most of it, um, yeah. Or part eight. But yeah, it's uh, it's Marvel Comics Presents. So it's kind of a crapshoot whether or not the story you're going to get is solid or not. Um, Exactly. Even going forward with the Wolverine stuff, sometimes they're good and sometimes Uh, they're less so. Yeah. (laughs) We should have some fun (laughs) with some of those. (laughs) Oh, man. I... some of those are are so bad they're good. There's a few that are gonna be hard to read. I'm just gonna. I don't know how far you've gotten yet, but there's there's some that feel a lot like homework. <laughs> um, I am about a year and a half okay ahead of this point. So All right, cool. I forget what issue number that is, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm mid mid to late 1990 at this point. Okay, awesome, awesome. Well, thank you very much, John, for coming on. Um, I, I apologize if the first part of this episode doesn't sound as good as it should, but trust me that, that it was very enjoyable. So I really appreciate you being gracious enough to come on the show again, and uh, we'll get you back on again soon. Yes, um, I'm looking forward to being back, because there's not that much MCP left before Wolverine 
becomes a highlight feature. I think the Excalibur arc is the last pre-Wolverine arc. Yeah, he comes back in uh, in the... It's already back in the late 30s or early 40s. I have a note. I can't remember. But, um, yeah, it's not too far away. So that'll be really fun. So, John, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you, uh, what you got going on, what you're doing? Not really doing much anymore. Yeah. Um, I've kind of bowed out of producing my own shows. Um, so, but there are various things that are out there that you can listen to if you haven't before. Um, some comedic discussions of early Spider-Man and Amazing Spider-Man classics. My daughter and me looking at some early 1960s Avengers-related stuff and Avengers inspirations. Um, I podcasted my way through the first 30-odd months of Superman over at Golden Age Superman. And um, some Silver Age Superman over at the Giant Superman podcast. Uh, I podcasted with a guy who was there for it all, Bob Fisher. Um, So various and sundry projects and one that I might actually go back to this summer. I'm thinking about it is the star Wars saga cast. Oh, nice. So, um, if you look at the star Wars saga cast, I need to clean up the website. Cause a lot of entries I made planning to put episodes up for when they went live, I never actually put the episodes up. And oh. so I need to go clean that up. <laughs> but the early entries do have episodes. And so there's, there's, there's some good stuff there. Awesome. Well, cool. I think it's good, but I, I might be biased. Oh, I don't know if I haven't listened to a whole lot of the Star Wars stuff, but I like everything else you do, so I'm going to assume it's good. <laughs> oh well, thank you. Yeah, I will. I will allow you to make that assumption, and I'll even <laughs> encourage others to do the same. <laughs> yes. So, where can people find you in the Twitterverse? Um, I am at John Reads Comics. Um, if you want to follow uh, a lot of comics talk and panels and um, you know just thoughts I have as I read through my various reading projects, I am currently doing. The Walking Dead, I've been reading one issue or watching one episode every day since the new year and um, posting my thoughts on Twitter as I go. That's been fun. Um, as part of my religious observance, I've been reading at least one Superman story every day. <laughs> so I post some interior art from that every day whenever I read a Superman story. Um, and just other random thoughts that I have about my, I've been reading through Spider-Man from the beginning. I've been reading through X-Men from the beginning. I'm, I'm in right in this era, the late 80s, on both of those, uh, late 80s, early 90s. In fact, just today as we're recording, I read a, The Amazing Spider-Man 300. Nice. Um, I've read everything up to that point, and that was really cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although, honestly, Venom's smile, I mean, they do so much more with his mouth later that it looks a little bit, just a little bit cute and goofy. It's a little <laughs> that, tame, but I like it. Yeah, I, I mean, I like it both ways. I, I, I tend to want to have my cake and eat it too with Venom. Um, I, I kind of like all the kind of different stylized versions that people do. And of course, you know, Eric Larson goes nuts, but um, but it's, that's still cool too. So. I've been I've been paying attention to who is on the Spider-Man books when I was a kid as those runs start. Nice. So like um, David Michelinie is the writer on Amazing Spider-Man starting from 290, and he was still writing Amazing whenever I was a kid. On Spectacular, I just started the Jerry Conway run, which I came in on, and uh, Salby Seba doing the art. Salby Seba had a long run on Spec. Web of Spider-Man, Alex Saviak was the artist on that 
when I was a kid, and I've started his run. So just I'm keeping track of as the creative team that I knew, as each one picks up a book, I'm like, oh, okay, creator number three, creator number four, and just kind of keeping track. <laughs> That's really cool. I've been I've been enjoying your tweets as always. As always. Fun to, yeah, you've been reading New Mutants, which is really cool. It makes me so happy that you're digging that book. Yeah, yeah, and I even have queued up. I'm going to wait till I get there on the timeline, but I'm even going to add... I, I'm not quite as optimistic about it, but I'm going to give New Warriors a try as well, so we'll see how that goes. I have been reading that for the very first time ever. That's a, yeah, this will be mine too. I've never read it, so... I've only... I, I, I've heard good things... Like, people raving about Nisiesa's New Warriors has always had the result of Nisiesa having a a positive place in my brain. Oh, he's a good writer. Everyone likes him. (laughs) Because I hear good stuff about his New Warriors all the time. Um, Of course, he's going to have a really big hand in the X-Books pretty soon. So, um, but also, I love Firestar. Yeah. And she's in the New Warriors. And so that's my, that's my... CDO justification for putting it in with my reading project is it's Firestar and she's an ex character. Now yeah. she's a new warrior. Well, and and this is weird because this is mainly based on modern comics, but I'm I'm a huge fan of uh, the new Nova Sam Alexander and have kind of gone back and read some Nova stuff, and so I'm curious to see how he fits into it all as well with uh, Richard Ryder. So, right. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, that's that's where we're at. So, um, oh, and John has no H. So when you look up at John reads comics, don't put an H in it. Ah, uh, yes, I thought that when you said it, and we started talking about other stuff, and I forgot. <laughs> so I'm glad you mentioned it. Um, and really, reads and comics don't have H's either, so you just don't need the H at all. Yeah, just take it off your phone. <laughs> right. <laughs> Stick that piece of glass out of there. It's not going to serve any other purpose, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Cut it out with a laser. Uh, right. <laughs> all right. Well, I think the bourbon's getting to me. <laughs> well, I'll let you. I'll let you transition however you want to transition. I, you know, maybe meet another recording or something. Right. Um, but this was this was fun, Jason. Thanks it was, but oh, you know what I forgot to do? You know, we what? talked about old youth group stuff earlier. I meant to transition from Uncanny X Men two forty five to the Pharaoh's Legacy with a song. And so I'm going to end the segment with a song. And John, if you know it, you can sing along. We're going to go, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh, 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 oh let my let people my go. Youth group memories. Yeah, buddy. Oh, also, speaking of Australia, if you like indie music, there's a really cool band called Youth Group that you can catch out. So, they sound kind of like, it's going to sound weird if you're a fan, but uh, almost a more mellow, more sweeter death cab. So, anyway, take that for what you will. (laughs) Cool. Well, John, again, thanks so much for coming on, and uh, we will see you next time. All right. Thanks, bud. All right. Bye. Bye. All right. We're going to finish up the episode with some, um, I think I referred to them as barely there Wolverine appearances. It's really more of a just passing through <laughs> set of Wolverine appearances and um, Uncanny X-Men. We're going to just very briefly talk about Uncanny X-Men 246 to 250. Just because, A, when Wolverine does come back to the title in 251, it's a doozy. So I don't want to ignore that setup. But also, 
I mean, he's in 246 briefly, and then there's some photos and images of him and some of the other issues, and there's also a lot of dialogue, or not a lot, but he's mentioned a few times as well. Um, so I just wanted to kind of run through those real fast. Not There's plenty of other X-Men devoted podcasts that you can get a more um, embellished plot synopsis. I'm just really going to run through this as it affects Wolverine, and um, he's not really in these but like I said, just wanted to kind of cover them. So we're going to start off with Uncanny X-Men number 246. Written by Chris Claremont. Penciled by Mark Silvestri. Inked by Dan Green. Uh, lettered by Joe Rosen. Colors by Glennis Oliver. This is The Day of Other Lights. Um, the cover is by Silvestri and Green. And it's Enter the Master Mold. And he's got his fist. He's about to rock and sock and robot some X-Men. He's got Psylocke clenched in one fist and then the bottom of the cover we have mark silvestri going hmm how can i make rogue look sexy on a pile of bricks we start off with dazzler looking at the siege perilous and she sees a bunch of options and gets scared a couple of things to note she has a little bag she pulls out a tape of rattle and hum by youtube to make some music to make some light because the power went out uh, one of my favorite albums growing up as a youngster was U2's Rattle and Hum. She also has a bottle of Aussie Tan, which kind of helps explain why, why through Silvestri's run in the outback, her skin tone gradually gets darker and darker. <laughs> so at least they make a nod to it, and at least they kind of explain it, even if you have to kind of look for it. <laughs> anyway, this is not the podcast that goes dazzle-dazzle. This is the podcast that goes nicked. So meanwhile, we also see Nimrod as a street vigilante. And then we go back to the X-Men base. Wolverine's in the bathroom. He's got some style in jail. He's messing with his hair. A storm comes in. And she's like, whoa, what's that? And he's like, something I picked up in Mexico with Havoc. And she's like, along with the plague. And we see in the mirror that he's messing with the uh, rabbit ear hairdo that he had him melt down. And uh, Storm says, I should really learn from my stylistic mistakes. <laughs> And I was like, well, oh, you're right. It was better on the road. And so Sylvester and Claremont saying, no, we're not going to do Wolverine that way, which I thought was kind of funny. Uh, and then Storm notices uh, a picture of Mariko, an eye patch, some sunglasses. Of course, you know, there's a jacket hanging on the coat rack. And it looks like Wolverine's getting ready to do some travel. She picks up the eye patch, which, of course, is from the Wolverine solo series. The eyeglass, the sunglasses, I mean, from Meltdown, nice shades. And, you know picture of Mark is just in Wolverine's room and she asks if he's leaving and he's like yep something I got to take care of and she says well the X-Men can help and of course he has a samurai sword in his room as well it's pretty cool and Wolverine says nope private business so Storm takes his jacket and shades puts them on and Wolverine's like yeah buddy <laughs> but um basically says that you know the X-Men are here and you don't have to do this by yourself and Wolverine says I appreciate it um but you know, we're stubborn, and I got to do this by myself. It was, um, I'm bound by obligations freely given, he says. Giri, the Japanese call it duty. And Georgie, did I say that right? Is it Giri, Gairi? I'm not sure. Being an X-Man taught me that. Before, I wouldn't have cared one way or the other. I lived life for myself. That's changed. Wolverine may be a certifiable crazy, but he's also a man who stands by his word. The storm's like, yeah, I get it. Uh, how long will you be gone? And Wolverine says, expect me when I'm back. And Storm says, and that will be when the job's done. Snick. <laughs> 
So just a couple of pages here, but a nice little scene of Wolverine kind of getting ready to go. Um, some nice little jokes, but also some kind of exploration of his character. So we see uh, Carol Danvers and Rogue's body visiting um, one of the memorial walls. And she's upset about her brother. And we see some X-Men training. All right, so then we have a quick uh, Hellfire scene with uh, Senator Kelly meeting with Sebastian Shaw. He's not going to support any more new Sentinel programs. His wife, who used to work for the Hellfire Club, dresses up in a sexy maid uniform and embarrasses the senator. Um, Psylocke confronts Rogue, she or Carol and Rogue's body. She had found an old Miss Marvel uniform. And then they recognize something's wrong, and Nimrod's human form was at his construction job and picked up something and was taken over by Master Mold. And so, the X-Men go to fight Master Mold, but Rogue gets punched through a limousine with Senator Kelly and his wife, and they're in bad shape. Sharon is dying, and Robert's none too happy about it. Alright? So the art in this is pretty good. The story's pretty good. Everything kind of moves along pretty nicely. Lots of little subplots, but also a lot of setup. But, you know what? I still enjoy this run a lot. I'm going to give Uncanny X-Men 246, uh, we'll say 5 out of 6 claws. Alright, 7. Uh, they fight Master Mold some more. Let's see, there's a part... Yeah, so there's a part where Jubilee is still running around the base in secret. And she finds a team picture. Uh, she finds a lot of Dazzler stuff. It's funny she refers to her as singing with that old lady, Lila Cheney, which I thought was funny. Uh, Jubilee continues to talk in Extreme Valley Girl. She, saw, she finds a team photo, talks about how good-looking Longshot is. Wolverine's just kind of standing there. That's really about all that happens. Um, lots lots of fighting with Master Mold. Some pretty good stuff. Uh, Rogue, when uh, Carol gets knocked out, Rogue takes her body back over. Lots of more fighting. They decide they're going to try to send Master Mold through the Siege Perilous. And it kind of works, but um, Rogue gets sucked through as well. And of course, that'll have big implications. Um, Sebastian Shaw shows up. Oh, there is a part where, and this part was kind of weird, where Senator Kelly's like, please help my wife. And Psylocke's like, oh, she's dying. There's nothing I can do. And he's like, but you're superheroes. But you're superheroes, right? And she's like, sorry. And the X-Men leave, and of course, Shaw is heartbroken as his wife dies. And I'm sorry, Kelly. Then Sebastian Shaw shows up and he's like, what can I do? And he's like, green light it all. <laughs> so he's mad the X-Men, you know, helped his wife get hurt and didn't help her heal. So he's going to green light some more Sentinel programs. So in 248, we have, by the way, our first Jim Kenny X-Men. Doesn't start his run yet, just does a guest pencil here, but worth mentioning. Um, and we get some a pretty cool first page of Jim Lee's Wolverine. Of course, it's all a robot as uh, Donald Pierce and Lady Deathstrike and the Reavers are, are practicing and to get ready to fight the X-Men. Deathstrike is in, only in it for Wolverine. And Pierce is like, oh, come on, we got to get all the X-Men. And we get an interesting thing where Longshot uh, decides he's not a complete person and he has to leave. Okay. Right. Um, see you later. Uh, Nanny and Orphan Maker are going to help the X-Men. Um, Psylocke takes a sexy bath in her lingerie again, and then she, uh, gets abducted, I guess, by Nanny and gets hit with the pixie dust and turns into a little kid in what would give some serious teenagers a serious, like, sexual trauma as Jim Lee draws Psylocke getting out of the water, 
all covered in water in her, her bathing suit lingerie thing. And then she gradually de-ages into a little girl in the same costume. It's, it's weird. Um, <laughs> uh, then we get some sexy uh, Alex and Dazzler running in the outback, taking a jog with shorty shorts. Actually, Dazzler's wearing a lot more clothes than, than Havoc is, but she's very, very dark. <laughs> she's getting tanner and tanner by the issue. Um, anyway, they, they pitch in, fight uh, Nanny and Orphan Maker. Lots more fighting. Just more fighting. And they're fighting the ship. And Havoc goes crazy. They all kind of get taken over. And then as they wake up, Storm's the only one not under the influence. So Havoc tries to blast the ship, but he blasts Storm instead. Or blasts both. But Storm is in the wreckage, and it looks like she is dead. So, there's that. It's a pretty cool issue. Um, we will move on to 249. Uh, there's a funny little... This is back to Mark Silvestri. Um, funny little thing where uh, there's a table in the team room. Remember that little Star X design that Madeline Pryor was working on? Well, it's in the center of the table. It's drawn, drawn on. And there's also, instead of like nameplates, she drew on everybody's face. <laughs> and Havoc is going through Xing them out. Rogue got sucked into the Siege Perilous. Long shot left. And now he's Xing out Storm because he just killed her. Uh, we have a funeral for Storm. But Havoc does not attend. It's kind of cool that Dazzler carves the headstone with her light powers. Havoc busts open a Foster's beer because they're in the outback. And just kind of goes on a little bit of a drunken pity party. Ask why Roma brought the X-Men back to life after Mutant Massacre. If, you know, they were just going to all die one by one again. And then he sees Wolverine's picture on the monitor and throws the beer at the Wolverine with a pant. And says, where were you, bub? Why weren't you here? We really needed you. And you know, kind of alluding to that line that John talked about in issue 245. Where Wolverine told you know, Storm, hey, I'll be here when you need me. And Storm asks, well, what happens when you're not? And, well, this is what happens. She dies. So that's pretty serious, pretty dark. So Havoc's still re- reliving it, and he shoots the computer, and somehow, like, backfire, electrocutes him. And we see Polaris. She gets attacked. And then we go back to the Outback. The, the Death Strike and the Reavers are making their first move. They find Colossus's drawings, and they're getting darker and darker. Pierce makes out with Death Strike when they get back. Havoc uh, gets a letter on his desk with a note that says uh, Polaris or Lorna called the answering machine for him. I'm guessing this is from Jubilee. So Havoc and Psylocke try to figure out where the call came from. They trace it to South America. Gateway sends them there where a bunch of Savage Land people show up. And turns out the Zaladane, the new leader of the Savage Land, is Polaris's maybe sister. So she kid- kidnaps Polaris and, you know, more fighting as they fight. The X-Men show up and try to fight the savage people, but Zaladin gets away. But Havoc also gets away. He dresses as a savage land person and sneaks back home with them. And that's it. Yeah, I'm going to give those last two. I'll still go five out of six claws as we kind of run through these. And not to leave you hanging, there's no Wolverine image to speak of no no character appearance and no reference no image nothing and uncanny x-men 250 but i don't want to leave you guys hanging uh, basically the x-men go to the savage way and they save polaris and because she goes through some mutate machine where zaladane tries to steal all her power she is able to kind of burn out and get rid of malice we don't really know where she goes or what happens but she's gone it's just lorna now and you know 
that's basically the story. There's a lot of kind of interesting bits in there. But I'm going to leave you with that. You know, feel free to read it. These are good issues. We're still in the middle of a good run. Anyway, that is a very brief, just kind of exploration of Wolverine getting ready to leave the Outback on a new solo mission and kind of what happens while he's gone. And uh, so Travis Starnes has the next, he leaves straight from that to White Shadow, Black Shadow, which will be the next Marvel Comics present story. Uh, we're going to go from this to, uh, we're going to go ahead and cover the Punisher War Journal story and then the Gehenna Stone, and then we'll get ready for some more Marvel Comics presents after that. Uh, probably. <laughs> I make no promises on what will happen to the order. But um, anyway, that's what we're doing. So, hope you enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, let's, let's wrap it up. All right, so that is going to do it for episode 219. Thanks again, John Wilson, for coming on. And sorry that things kind of went so rough. I promise to go a lot smoother next time. Then go smooth. Smooth as ice. Right? That's what the kids say these days. I don't know. <laughs> But anyway, a massive thank you to John for coming on. He's uh, one of my favorite podcasters, and it was good to, you know, or I guess one of my favorite retired, uh, currently retired. He'll be back. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Why don't I quit telling him what to do, right? Um, anyway, he's one of my favorite podcasters, and I was delighted, as always, to have him on the show. So hope you also enjoyed that. And um, yeah, so next up, uh, actually next up, we're going to talk about some current books. We're going to wrap up the current status quo for the X-Men and get ready for the new status quo. So that's exciting, right? And then the next flashback, uh, Cameron will come back and talk about some Punisher. And then we'll do the next big story, the five-parter in the Wolverine solo series. And then we'll get ready for some other stuff. Oh, Wolverine's birthday. Yeah, a little, little one-shot there. That'll be pretty cool. Um, anyway, that's all coming down the pipe. Or as some people say down the pike i don't know what that means though i always thought it was pipe but i've talked about that before maybe i'm just a big dummy it's very very possible anyway enough um hope you all enjoyed the episode like i said multiple times by now um please like the facebook page twitter is at snickcast email us snickcast at yahoo.com website with show notes snickcast.podbean.com so until next time hugs and snicks everybody Bye-bye. And snacked.